0: Hi, this is Matt Kemple, co owner of Milwaukee's premier live comedy spot, The Laughing Tap, and founder of the Milwaukee Comedy Festival. It seems you guys really like that last set. Let's see if we can keep the applause going and get the guys and their guests to give us a part two to the interview. I think they're coming out. Here they are. Show them your love, people. It's season six of the Bait and Switch podcast.
1: Welcome back to the Bait and Switch podcast. My name is Jim Martin. As always, I'm here with my co host, Chris Beyer. Chris. Hello.
0: Hello, Jim. Hello. I just said that you lost some weight.
1: I did. I could see it in your face. Yeah, you could see. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. I um, We were explaining that I. Uh, you, you had a fat face, is what I said. I had a fat face. Right, it, yeah. right. And nice. I really have been working working up the jaw muscles. Ah, yeah. You know, <laughs> and so I really toned that up. But um, yeah, so we were talking a little bit about. Between between shows here about health uh, issues and and working out and not working out and weight plateaus etc. and we started talking with our guest here who is Brendan O'Day is with us today. We started talking to him about uh, sort of like trying to stay healthy, do something on the road, and um, and that sort of led us into like this idea that there's a lot that kind of goes on behind the scenes on these road shows that. People who go to see the show, they don't really even realize is going on.
2: Yeah. It's the typical club comedian. Their life is very nomadic, but they don't have to do anything. They basically have to make sure they're in town by 3 p.m. on the day of the first show of the weekend. And then that's it. But they might have driven nine to fourteen hours that day to get there. So they just basically have to kind of be a road warrior. Uh, we talk about having a road bladder. Uh, you know, do you have the bladder of a road comic or or just a civilian? And uh, a lot of times that can dictate whether you have a comedy career or not. Can you get there in time uh, with few enough stops to drive from you know St. Louis to North Carolina in an afternoon? Because somebody dropped out. There was somebody got sick, fell out, crashed a car, or whatever, and you're the next guy up and you're six
0: states away. Can you get there in time to get to the show? I can do it. Yeah. Yeah. And you said, one of the main things, certainly with these small clubs and maybe the big clubs, is they want to encourage people to drink. That's where they're making their money. That's where the money is. And after the show, I'm sure they're encouraging you, the comic, to to fraternize with the people there and, and they're buying you drinks they want to see and so after the show is not the healthiest lifestyle well it's an odd
2: thing the clubs actually don't encourage that they oh. actually started to restrict the comedians comedy used to be a free-for-all we go back to that first time around it was fairly famous here in milwaukee that you could go down into the office after you're set uh and they would literally have a pile of cash or a pile of cocaine mm-hmm. and you could choose to get paid in either one mm-hmm. uh your choice and that doesn't exist anymore by any stretch, not for 20 years. It's all heroin now. Yeah, right. Anyway, yeah, we got to slow this stuff down. Yeah. But for our type of touring, as a self-book tour, as a self-promoting tour, we only have that one night for that club to have the best night of their year. And that was our goal. Uh, our guarantee was you will make more money selling drinks in the two hours of our comedy show than you will during a five-hour session of a band. Because when people are watching a comedy show, they're not talking. Right. And when they're not talking, they're drinking. Right. So people will literally drink more in that two hours than in the five hours that some five guys with day jobs is up there playing during the whole time. So we then went, well, if we keep everybody around, if we do an 8 to 10 p.m. show mm-hmm. and we keep them around till bar time for the next four hours, we'd have bar managers and venue owners who you know hammered themselves go to the cash register and we'd say, check the key. And they'd turn it to that X key on the register, and I mean, so many times people are like, they're getting their, they're doing their checkout at the, their tabs out at the end of the night. Like, I spent one hundred forty-seven dollars tonight, and they're just freaking out because it's the most they've ever spent on a night drinking in a bar. And it's like, well, yeah, but you had a good time, right? It's like don't come back for like six months. My <laughs> wife's going to be all over me for this. Oh my God. So it was always worked out great. Cause we'd come back once every nine months to, to a year. And, but that does take a toll on you health wise. Uh, when you have to be a up all night, you might have a drive the next day. We usually tried to keep it to about 120 to 180 miles every day uh, to just, you know, again, maximizing dollars and everything. Uh, but, yeah, trying to find time to work out. So, and oftentimes they wouldn't pick the best hotel for you. You know, not a lot of travel lodges with a gym, and uh, so <laughs> eh, so you end up doing what you can uh, when you're out on the road. But uh, as soon as we'd be back in town for whatever six weeks or four weeks, back at the back at the Planet Fitness, that was my gym. And
0: is there a lot of dysfunction among comics? Is there a lot of problems with alcohol and
2: drugs among? Comics? Sure. Yeah, because it's, again, fairly nomadic, very uh, uh, solitary lifestyle for the most part. You become very fast friends with people if you're in the club system. You might meet that feature act that you're working with or the headliner you're working with for the weekend. You know that person for 72 hours, and then they're gone. You won't see them for five years, or you might see them at a festival three years later or whatever. You become good at making quick friends because for the next four or five days – you're totally on your own and, and and sometimes the way to get through that lonely night is a is a six pack or a twelve pack or a a handle of Kesslers and whatever. And, and so, you,
0: you said you didn't have any problem getting up for the show, but some people probably do, right? Some people probably use drugs, yeah. alcohol to, to oh, yeah. overcome uh, overcome stage fright, overcome nervousness. For sure. Yeah.
2: And and I you know, I've I've known a few over the years. But once you've moved past like hosting and into featuring I don't know a lot of people that make it to headliner that are riddled with anxiety. I would say I've only known a couple who really had a difficult time once they got to headliner. Because it's just, it's your job at that point. It's mm-hmm. kind of funny. It comes out every now and then, oh, you're a comedian? must be great. I'm like, it's a job, man. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. just a job. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. something I do and, and I go out and do it. And yeah, it turns out there are a couple of cool things that happen. And I got this scale right now. It works out to about once out of every, I think it's about 12 shows something really weird happens where somebody's life changed because of that stupid comedy show or something majorly somebody needed that show that night mm-hmm. and and that's what probably kept me going for the last two or three years of not walking away from it completely is because there's there's people out there that are hurting and i'm not saying comedy's therapy but it might give someone just a modicum of perspective to uh, be able to look at their life a little bit differently and maybe make some changes. And it's always kind of weird. So yeah. when you have that experience, so, yeah,
1: cool. So um how do you see things uh you've seen 89 through 92 ish? Now you're all the way up to yeah. here to 2023 yeah. post COVID. We talked yeah. about how COVID is, uh, you know, it took uh took a toll on a lot of industries, but comedy, uh, we're yeah. talking about tonight. so um, how how are things different now than they were, and we'll say back in the heyday, I guess, right?
2: Language the The sensitivity of the metropolitan audience, and given that that's where the concentration of people, therefore the concentration of com comedians, therefore the concentration of clubs, the the limitations put on a free speech based art form, it's so antithetical to good comedy that you can't talk about what you're trying to talk about this notion that somebody calls themselves a comedian. So therefore they're a fully formed comedian aware of all the restrictions and limitations that are the change by the day or even the hour. Sometimes Um, the opportunity for a comedian to fail and try a joke and get vilified or canceled over just trying a joke, mm-hmm. it's we've the the sensitivity level. It's it's ended a lot of comedy careers prematurely. There are a lot of people who've walked away because they just won't do it. Yeah, Jerry Seinfeld very famously said he'll he won't do colleges anymore mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. the maturity level of people who are in college today, it's like their junior high. They they, they get the notion that you as an adult could be triggered by any by a words of a comedian someone who says they're a comedian mm-hmm. the university <laughs> paid them to come and be a comedian mm-hmm. and they're going to say something that triggers if you're a person who gets triggered by something in that scenario you should not be allowed to be there i'm not saying you shouldn't be there i'm saying you should not be allowed someone should stop you yeah. from being there if you're that type of person yeah sure because if we're going to allow that person to be in college, I believe then it becomes the responsibility of the college to say, "Well, you might this might not be for you." I mean, because yeah. they all have counselors; everybody has a college counselor. They have to know who you are. Yeah. Uh, so.
1: And, and a little bit of personal responsibility at that. Point, hey, right? wouldn't that be great if we like, expected yeah, right, that of eighteen-year-olds? Right.
2: No, right, exactly. We yeah. we don't expect that. Of you
0: anybody. didn't encounter hardly any of this in the 80s and 90s and 2000s. We didn't
2: encounter it at all specifically because of where we traveled. Yeah, Um, You said
0: metropolitan. Yeah, by staying
2: out of those areas and going to places where people have real jobs and do the real work that make this country work, Mm -hmm. they are a great, there's a great segment of this population that most people that live in big cities have no idea exists. Mm. And they call them hicks, and they call them yokels, and they mm. call them a bunch of right-wing Christian racist scum, whatever they want to call them. Mm. Uh, that's who makes all your food. Mm. Uh, that's who makes mm. all the products that you you buy off Amazon if it's still made in this country. Uh, those are the hardworking people who actually come to a comedy show because they need relief. That's the problem today. Yeah, 38 hours a week, 32 hours a week is a full-time job in the big city of Milwaukee. What do you have to escape from on a Friday night? Oh, did your boss tell you that, you know, you're, you're going to have to come in now instead of work from home. You're going to have to come in one day a week. Oh, right. poor baby. So you're gonna have to get in the, in your Prius and drive downtown and find parking. Oh, in that heated parking garage that they built for you. Oh my God, <laughs> your life is terrible.
0: <laughs> That's why nobody goes to comedy shows anymore. Have you personally had anybody accost you? Anybody you know come close to you know taking a swing at you or certainly yell at you for anything like this? No,
2: I'm funny. That's mm-hmm. why it doesn't happen to me. <laughs> I make the audience <laughs> laugh.
0: I don't try to make them mad.
2: Like I say, mostly because of where we go. I I believe my job is to is to correct how bad your week has been. I believe that's why you're at a comedy show. So if you come at it from that perspective, as I, I, my opinions don't matter. Mm-hmm. My political persuasion doesn't matter at a comedy show. I'm not there to convert anyone. Right. I'm not there to, <laughs> to, to help anyone see the light. I'm there to make your day a little bit better. Uh, I think, I don't know if I told you this story before, but... Uh, it happened to be in South, Carolina, uh, South Dakota again, a little town called Witten, South Dakota, population 89. Mm-hmm. We had 92 people at the show. <laughs> uh, so we dragged in some folks from outside of the area. Yeah. Uh, and the cool thing they did, there's a few teenage girls in town. So the little, the little kids in town, they were all at one house being babysat by these two girls. Oh, nice. And so they dropped off all the little kids there, and then everybody came to the show. And uh, there's a woman sitting right up front. Uh, front corner, center aisle, kind of a thing instead of outside aisles or whatever, and uh, everybody else is dressed in their best plaid snap shirt and cowboy boots, and you know everybody's looking good, nice, the clean hat with the nice edges and everything, uh, not the cat diesel cap or whatever, the John Deere cap, and this woman was in her in her brown uh, Dickies workwear, and just looked like she'd been dragged through a mud puddle, and and not a stretch because the main street was dirt. There was no paved road coming into the place. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I opened the show. So how, you can't leave that sitting there. Here's a woman who looks like she's like out of a mud puddle yeah. and just like, uh, like, all right, <laughs> everybody else is dressed nice. They've all had a nice steak dinner. You just walked in minutes ago. You look like, I don't know. You, uh, you look like you fell in the ditch. Maybe what was there a bad parking spot out there and you just didn't see it in the dark. And she's like, well, I live an hour that way, and my friend needed some help birthing a calf, and she's 45 minutes that way, and there's no way I was going to do over a three-hour turnaround and get here before the start of the show, and there was no way in hell I was going to miss this. (laughs) They've never had a comedy show in Witten, South Dakota. She was literally covered in calf afterbirth. Yeah. Mm. Wow. That's who's at your show in yeah. the front row. Right. Yeah. Right. I got to do a damn good show for that person. Right. Yeah. She showed the right. hell up. Yeah. I my job is to be really good that night. Yeah. That's my imperative every night, but holy crap, that night I got to be on. Yeah. And we were on and we had a great show. It was amazing. Yeah. And and you remember shows like that that just blow your mind. I see the picture of the the owner, his family and and the comedian. We had a we had a guest with us on that run we had a host with us that opened our shows um just trying to give her some experience and um and you can see it in the faces of everybody there these are hard working steer driving they, they drive cattle for calf a living birthing. yeah calf birthing yeah. people and and everybody has had just such an amazing time that night yeah because of a couple of comedians that nomadically are kicking around kicking across the country and yeah. that was um i think that was like show 14 of 30 of 41 47 shows it was supposed to be 41 shows and then it expanded to 47 mm-hmm. by that time we got it all booked and uh it was amazing it was the uh
0: well, yeah. yeah what about uh, what about the state of comedy here in milwaukee we got the improv our friend yeah. matt kempel you know matt who mm-hmm. runs the laughing tap of course how's this how's the state of stand-up here in milwaukee so uh it's a very
2: I'm here for other reasons. <laughs> I'm from northern Wisconsin, so I just this is the big city. Mm-hmm. And so I came here for work and and um trying to make better life for my family. And so I'm just here because of that. So I'm I'm probably not the best person to comment on the state of comedy in Milwaukee mm-hmm. from the standpoint of I I go to, I have my one open mic with Andy Bolton and, uh, and it's been, it's the longest running open mic in the state. And, and it's just, it's comfortable. It's where I go when I'm in town. It's a Sunday night. It's easy to get to. Usually the weekend wraps up on a Saturday, but, um, there's some, there's some a handful of really good comics right now coming out of Milwaukee and, um, and, they seem to have been able to rise above the clickiness of it. Uh, someone like Dana Ehrman is working super hard. She's amazing. Tom Johnson, one of the funniest guys you'll ever just, he's just an an innately funny guy, but then there's some veterans. Chastity Washington is just amazing. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, um, just some real, so there's some people who are real committed, uh, to what comedy can be. Um, the Laughing Tap is an interesting thing. They opened up and then COVID hit. I think they right. opened in December, and then COVID hits in March. Yeah. So the 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 weight that they were put under is it, it's massive. And the fact that they even came out of it the other side, I'm so happy for uh, for Matt and for Greg for keeping that thing going. Uh, and Caitlin, uh, that's a great thing. Um, really appreciate that they were able to do that. Matt and I have some some interesting fundamental disagreements about comedy and about show production and things like that, that we've gotten to a point of where we can share a drink and a laugh over it, whereas it used to be a little more acrimonious. I'm like, what are
0: you doing? You're... What, what what about this? Uh, they don't have drink minimums. What do you think about that? Oh, it's that? a
2: great thing. For, as soon as you put a two-drink minimum on, that's what people drink you should not have any yeah. minimums on anything like that you're you're literally encouraging your audience to spend less that's the stupidest thing ever okay. they have a two item minimum out at at the improv right. which oh, again yeah. is just a corporate standard and i think if that's one of the best things i i was shocked when they finally cuz again same thing that place was supposed to open and then it didn't open and then it was supposed to open and it didn't open and ellen was supposed to be the opening comedian there i can't remember who was ultimately the first comedian but um, from you're, the time you're talking the improv, the improv, improv yeah, when yeah. they were about to open, Ellen was two hundred and fifty thousand a show, and by the time oh. they got it open, she was five hundred thousand a show. <laughs> so Oops. I think she got bounced by her own. It was too small of a venue for her. She doesn't need to do a room of four hundred. She does yeah. fifteen thousand. Yeah, you, know, you got a TV show like she has. So, um, but the 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 world of, I think some places are finally wising up to some things i can't believe that became a standard element of the business model Um, i I don't even know what forced it other than the length of shows typically a club show is an hour and a half Mm -hmm. us doing two hours with two comedians it's three people doing a a hour and a half show Mm -hmm. and believe me every comedy club wants that to be an hour and 20 maybe an hour and 15 because that gives them a little more time to turn the room for the second show oh sure And if they are pushing, if the cocktail servers are doing their job and they're getting those drinks out and the bartenders are fast, they're going to still hit three rounds. So they're not having a problem with sales, but they, I've never seen anybody in the food service industry, entertainment, whatever food and beverage industry want to get out and close up faster than comedy club managers. Well, I tell you that end of that second show, they want everybody hustled out of that room. That dishwasher better be running at the fastest pace he can and And that's one of the biggest things that's changed. We're talking about that. What's changed since the 90s to today is there used to be a hangout. Yeah. We'd hang after a show. Yeah, sure. Um, When I first came back, one of the first open mics, there used to be a club here in town called Giggles. Mm -hmm. It started, I was in in Germantown, and it moved out to far west Brookfield, Mm -hmm. Death Nell, just killed that club inside of, I think it lasted nine months. Um, But they brought in a guy. Uh, from Columbus, uh, Josh Sneed, who that year, I think it was 2008, 2009, uh, was voted Best Comedian on Comedy Central. And he was hot, funny mm-hmm. as hell, just a great guy. Right. We sat at that Perkins on Bar- uh, Barker and, and Blue Mound Road till right. 4.30 that morning after the show. Yeah. <laughs> and nobody thought anything of it. Sure. it's just It's 4.30 in the morning. You start seeing the church crowd come into the restaurant <laughs> yeah. before church. It's like... Yeah, we should maybe roll out of here, (laughs) boys.
0: Maybe, maybe the uh, the owners of these clubs figured, as much as fun is for people to hang, they're just doesn't make enough money for them to stay open, and they decided they got to cut everybody. The hourly is killing them. Right, they got to cut that labor. Right, they can't have everybody hanging around. What Mm -hmm. about the the Brookfield Improv? That is a corporate. It's corporate. How does how does the improv model work? Do you know? Uh. Yeah,
2: food and beverage sales, full uh, house. I mean, is it, house. is it
0: locally owned or is it... Uh... No, no, it's
2: corporate owned. Okay. Uh, all the uh, the improvs at one point were franchises and they all got bought. They they Somebody put together a, an ownership group in LA mm-hmm. and they bought up all the clubs. Like right. they bought them all back out of their franchise agreements. Okay. So then, so you have the next one is down in Schaumburg in the, in the Woodfield mall, about the same size, a 450 seat room down there, Mm -hmm. uh, which is kind of weird when Damon Wayans comes in, you know, the show breaking bad familiar with that. Sure. Yeah. Uh, Huell, the, the very, yes. The Mm -hmm. uh, security guard, uh, uh, Lavelle Crawford did six sold out shows at the improv here. Mm -hmm. Just killed it. Yeah. And he's a guy on a basic cable channel. Way down the dial, and then mm-hmm. and, and, and he's a hell of a great stand up. He was a stand up way before he was an actor. Right. And, and holy cow, he just kills. So that's where they make their money is TV funny people. So, from what was the Breaking Bad? Steve Gomez, that plays the, the DEA agent right. underneath oh, yeah. Hank uh, Schrader. He was a stand up for years. He's back out on the tour. Funny. You know, yeah. uh, has his brand of comedy. It's 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 uh, obviously uh, you run that risk of it being very race based when you're a, a non-white in the United States. So mm-hmm. you go to that. Uh, the difference between Latinos and whites is right. you know whatever. Exactly. That's that's when that makes up seventy percent of your set. I think that's a little lowest common denominator. But whatever, you get your audience. And right. and and again, it's so hard to generate an audience that mm-hmm. comes to see you, right. mm-hmm. as opposed to come yeah. to see comedy. That's yes. a crazy point. Yep. thing where you start to actually really make money mm-hmm. uh, and have a real career. Mm-hmm. Um, when Louis CK had his HBO show that lasted two seasons and then got canceled because of politics. Um, and I mean, internal politics, right. not mm-hmm. political stuff. Right. Um, he was still relatively unknown. Cause you think how many people have HBO, mm-hmm. not a lot. He comes to Milwaukee because he's doing these self-book tours now. Um, he just rents a theater. So he rents the, the Pabst, uh, 1,340 seats. Sells it out. But it's 90% comedy fans. 10% know him from the HBO show. Right. Then he gets the deal on FX. So the next time he moves up to the Riverside, 2,345 seats, half are comedy fans, half are TV show fans. It's celebrity. Right. His last one that was recorded there was hilarious. 90% TV show fans. The line to take a picture with him is out the building and down Wisconsin Avenue afterwards. After the first show at the Paps, there was like 12 of us hanging around with him and Todd Barry. After the show, just... Talking comedy because that's what comedians do after a show is we sit around and we talk about comedy. Mm. We talk about crappy road gigs and we talk about the car that blew up and we talk about the rental car counter that had no cars when we needed to get six hours north. That's what you talk about. Yeah, That's what the people that were there at that show, even though there's 1,300, those people just enjoyed the show and they did what they do after a comedy show and that's leave. But the people yeah. who are in comedy hung out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Three years later, it's, it's a celebrity event. It's, yeah, it's sure. the, the, the news channel is there taking, you know, doing an interview with him afterwards with the remote truck there. And it's like,
0: ugh, and now, well, this now is now not comedy is anymore. That drives uh, people. You know, they get a podcast to get. It is. Famous.
2: Yeah. yeah. It well, is.
1: I, I was going to say that, that sort of, uh, I don't want to say justifies. That's not the word I'm looking for. That may, means uh, now it makes sense why people are driving more towards fame with comedy than actual comedy. Because it puts butts in the seats. Puts butts in the seats. And they want that. I think it's, I mean, it's probably, uh, for me, it would be ego-based, right? I want these people to know who I am and people coming to see me and all this. You know, it's pretty cool. Uh, The way
2: that changed was kind of that Louis model. Louis C.K. did two things. The first was booking his own theaters. Mm -hmm. If you work with a promoter Mm -hmm. to do a show at the Paps Theater, you might make 20 grand if he comes in and rents the theater for $6,000 for the night and sells tickets at $50 a seat, he leaves town with around $45,000. Sure. I think that's a that's better different. financial model, right? Yeah. Uh, so the way now to make that money is to sell the tickets. And the way to sell the tickets is to have a vehicle, a TV show, a podcast, um. Uh, a hosting gig on something known whatever um movie star there's there. game
0: shows another one oh
2: my gosh the whole drew carey crew is just it, though they don't i mean the the who's line people go out brad sherwood and colin mockery still go out pretty regular but i i'm not a fan of improv mm-hmm. and none of that's real improv anyway that's all worked out it's it's one of those you know breaking the fourth wall kind of thing. No, oh, no, no, they're making all that stuff up on the spot. No, Wayne Brady's not that good. Right. <laughs> they work all that shit out hours before. Uh, and that's fine. Cause that's what it all is. Uh, every all improv is they've practiced those game quote unquote right. games so that they, it looks quick and, and interesting, but it's not. And, and that's, again, I'm kind of a purist for stand-up, So that's, I can't, I can't endorse a lot of that stuff. Um, but, um, the fact that it's not about alcohol anymore, and I'm kind of glad for that. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, if you just go see Theo Vaughn, because, because you listen to his podcast for eight hours a week, mm-hmm. uh, if you just go see Joe Rogan, oh, God. So <laughs> there was this thing called The Man Show. Yeah. Uh, a million years ago with Jimmy Kimmel and Adam Carolla. Right. And then they wanted real money from Comedy Central and Comedy Central didn't have any money. Right. <laughs> so they left. And it, the last season was still under contract. So Joe Rogan and a comedian by the name of Doug Stanhope right. were hired to fill in. Mm. And uh, Doug Stanhope is, is probably the greatest working comedian today. Mm. He's just absolutely the greatest mind working in stand-up comedy. And Joe Rogan was his sidekick. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you've seen any of Joe's specials, but I can make it about eight minutes. Um, he's, he's a great UFC announcer. Mm -hmm. He was a great TV host on fear factor. He's got that network money when networks still had money. And, you know, so he's living in a $12 million house in the, in the Hollywood Hills. And Doug Stanhope, who's 10 times the comedian is in an $800 a month apartment in East LA (laughs) at the same time. It's just like, Oh, the juxtaposition here is just ridiculous. You can be super mediocre and be, the most popular, most well-paid guy in comedy, or you can, or you can have a real audience that cherishes every thought that you create. The mental health issue, Doug Stanhope owns that issue. Yeah. He, there's nobody that's done it better than him. I'm better than Burbiglia. Better than uh, f- what? Are, from Femster Friend. What well, I can't think of that woman's name, uh, whose entire career is built on her therapy sessions uh but yeah there's there are some comedians out there that are just so good uh that drive this industry forward mm-hmm. while the people most people know are really pretty average
0: we were talking uh, a little bit last night uh we we're talking about some of the ones that we like and don't like yeah we're both big fans of mark normand amazing comedian mark he's, he's the future
2: good. he and shane uh what's his name Shane Gillis. Shane Gillis Mm -hmm. are two of the most inventive, most pure comics, I think, working today.
0: I don't Uh, think there's many people. If you look at the comments section of Rogan's clips, everybody knows he's not a good comic. It is always funny in his podcast. Now, I don't listen to the podcast. I don't have Spotify, but I'll see clips on YouTube. mm -hmm, Sure. Sure. And whenever he mentions him working on his craft and him him laboring on his craft, there's always a bunch of comments saying, "Isn't it cute that he thinks he's a real comedian?" Yeah. But of course, you know the thing where he's made his name, at least of the last ten years, is being a host, and that he's very good at. You
2: know, it's amazing. Well, yeah. he's a real. I mean, he's been a taekwondo practitioner. He was a national champion taekwondo practitioner. Uh, he knows the sport that he's the host of. He has become an amazing. Uh, interviewer right Mm -hmm. he's 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 very open-minded that's amazing Mm -hmm. to have a to have a and and he's not scatterbrained like a larry king and and he's very focused and he tends not to really research his subjects before they come on Mm -hmm. but it's amazing how well-rounded um his baseline of knowledge is to really drive questions forward Mm -hmm. and give because there's no time limit there's no commercialization of it if you want, if Randall Carlson wants to go on for four hours about Gobekli Tepe, heck, let him go and let him talk about that.
0: Now, we might uh, start a little argument here. I was talking to some comedians last night with him. We agree on some of these ones. Kevin Hart, not a fan. You're not a fan. Not a fan. Uh, this new guy, Matt Reif. I don't know much about him, but you say it's more built on his personality and his good looks. But I mentioned a name that I kind of like, and Jim, I know, likes Nate Bargatze. Yeah. And you, you weren't the biggest fan. You called his type of humor observational. What was it? Referential. Referential.
2: Um, it's a little different. Um, but, uh, I, I, and, and I, want to kind of put an asterisk on this. Anybody that quote unquote makes it Mm -hmm. by any measure. And that includes the Amy Schumer's. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can't deny the volume of joke stealing. Um, the most egregious to me is, is her basically touring with Patrice O'Neill for three years before he died. And then in the very first thing she does afterwards, she literally does his three closing jokes in order. It's just, it's so uh, uh, nauseating. Um, But I don't begrudge anybody who quote unquote makes it right. It is so hard. You go through so much crap to get anywhere in this business. Mm -hmm especially people that go that route. Uh my stated goal, which unfortunately I didn't make, uh got close. But my goal was to have 20,000 people spend $20 a year on me. Mm-hmm. That's $400,000 a year. it's not right. bad. Your tour costs are going to be about 120 000 to 150,000 of that. That right. still leaves you a quarter million a year. Right. Okay, let's take out taxes and everything. Okay, I'm now at 150,000. I can live okay. That's all on kidding. 150 grand a year and, and that's have, all and i wanted
1: it, having a pretty good time doing it and having yeah.
2: a great time doing it yeah. and meeting the best people not right. the popular people not the famous people not the well-dressed people not the important people in a town who, who nobody gives a crap about oh well you're the you're the third most recently elected council member here in milwaukee oh big Flippity deal! I've I've kept this almost perfectly FCC clean tonight, you guys. This is very unusual. (laughs) Yeah, ours
0: is a clean podcast. Yeah,
2: Yeah, and I didn't even ask ahead of time. I just kind of knew. Like I say, I don't begrudge anyone their success because it is so difficult. But then you just get down to personal taste, Mm -hmm. and and Nate's a little homespun. I think you said last night it's a lot about more about his facial reaction and delivery than it is actual joke construct. And -hmm. I agree with that. And that seems to appeal to a lot of people. And most importantly, it appeals to Ted Sarandis, uh, the guy at the top of Netflix who makes the decisions on all the comedy stuff personally, which is mm-hmm. great. Right. I mean, he's got his handlers, he's got his uh, administrative assistants and things like that, but he's still the guy that makes all those decisions
0: almost irrespective of like results. Well, I'll say mm. this, that I wow. did hear that Nate Bergantz's most recent special is the most watched program on Netflix this year. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. yeah. I don't understand it. Yeah. Um, I just don't get it. You um, know what? You know, I'll, I, we talked about the difference between, say, him and Kevin Hart. And mm-hmm. maybe, I don't like Kevin Hart because I think he mugs too much, but mm-hmm. maybe Bargazzi is the opposite of Kevin Hart in the sense that he doesn't mug It's and more that's subtle? The, that's the joke. More subtle, oh, no, he more, mugs. More, more humility the, the, involved. The, joke, and... the maybe. joke is that he's not mugging. Maybe. You know? But
2: again, what Kevin Hart went through, when, you, when you've when you worked your ass off for three or four years coming up through the clubs, the, the New York's a different scene. Mm-hmm. New York, you try to, you jump all over town all night long to get three minutes, five minutes here and there at real clubs in front of real people. So they're quote unquote open mic scene, which really isn't open mics if you get to a certain level. There certainly is a very similar open mic scene to what we have here, little bars that have open mics. But they're the real comedy clubs, Caroline, Cellar, uh, Improv, Boston, Gotham, all those clubs run comedy till about four in the morning. Yeah, So you might go on in front of three drunks at 3 thirty in the morning, and if that's what it took to get popular back in the late 80s, early 90s when he was coming up. And so he put in the work. There's no question. but the place to get launched out of was the Laugh Factory at the time. And Jamie Masada was the guy at the Laugh Factory. He's the guy that sat on top of that whole franchise. And Kevin Hart, you know, has worked his way up to get the audition to get past. And Jane Masada just went. Uh, you don't have it. You're never <laughs> oh. going. You're never going to make it in this business. Mm-hmm. And
1: wow. that's
2: sometimes all you gotta say to somebody and to light a it. fire underneath them, oh. and they'll yeah. show you. Yeah. So Kevin Hart's stick to itiveness, dedication, absolute screw you. I'm gonna make. My, I'm gonna force myself. He he became an undeniable force. Mm-hmm. When you announce a Kevin Hart show and people are lined up. It was like Bernie Mac in Chicago in the nineties when uh, all jokes aside was the black club on the North side that got moved from the South side up to the North side. And people would be a half a mile down the block to get in and knowing they were never going to get in. They would do three, four shows a night just to try to meet the demand. When you become undeniable like that, like a Steve Harvey, um, you're just going to, you're gonna reach. You're gonna reach an audience. You're gonna find an audience, yeah. and that's what those guys are. So again, I whereas I I don't go out of my way to see Kevin Hart in anything. Right. Uh, I respect the hell out of the massive audience that he's
0: developed and the pub, the producing machine that he is. Well, uh, I'll I'll say one last question for me. I'll uh, Jim uh, Jim take the last last question. Are you gonna Are you gonna go back to North Dakota and South Dakota and relive those days, or is that over with?
2: Um. I was just talking to my wife about that. Um, Second wife. Second wife. Uh, But um, the problem is finding anyone. We were talking about the the health challenges that you go through uh, trying to be a road comic. Um, It's more than health challenges. It's finding someone who's willing to work to do a different style of, of, of being a part of a show. Like I say, most comedians want to show up at the hotel, check in at three p m on Thursday, get over to the club at six thirty do one show on Thursday go back to the hotel right show up at six thirty Friday do two shows be back at the hotel by eleven thirty go back Saturday and that's it right. Sunday morning they're on their own right. drive into the next hopefully they have a one nighter on Monday and Tuesday somewhere or that or they're sleeping in their car in a in a parking ride or whatever mm-hmm. uh because again, no money there's just it's so the lifestyle of the average feature and headliner today is so terrible. So if you want to produce a better experience with someone, they have to understand that there's a level of work involved in doing it. You're part of the production of the whole thing. And finding someone willing to do that has become a real challenge that for me. That won't steal from you in the end. That won't steal from you. Yes, yeah. that won't. You right. forgot.
0: That was a little the detail you forgot. You should have had that in the bottom of that page. Yeah, the by guy. the way. Yeah. By yeah. the way. Don't steal. Don't steal in yeah. the end. The, tour,
2: the tour's trying. What's your, what's your uh, last question?
1: I, I have a question that probably should have come a lot earlier. Mm-hmm. But uh, So when you're doing these shows yeah. and you're doing this 45, 47, 51, yeah. all this – it's the same show i 'm imagining pretty close right yeah. so does it does it become difficult for you to get up the energy to have the same kind of enthusiasm energy and you know you're, or does it
2: like does it get repetitive for I yeah. mean, it has
1: to get repetitive for you you know all the jokes already none of this is funny
2: for you already, so, you, just, you know what 's coming this is this is probably this is not i don 't want to say a standard it's how I approach comedy yeah. uh, i have first of all i'm in a very um, Uh, privileged spot I should say so what I like doing because I'm good at it I like opening I like it typically a comedy show is a host a feature act and a headliner sure I occupy those first two spots okay so I introduce the show and what I've done in that afternoon after I've dropped everything off at the hotel we've set up we go to typically we'd go to the venue first if they were open early enough we set up the room Mm -hmm. then we go to the hotel whatever unpack And then I'd go and drive around town. My road partner's taking a nap. He's he's worked very hard (laughs) passaging in the car and carrying a couple of speakers in because that's about (laughs) all he could handle. Uh, And then he takes a nap while I'm driving around town looking for things to comment on and make little okay, jokes sure. about. Mm-hmm. So when I do my first 10 minutes, which would be the hosting section, I'm mostly just trying to make friends. Yeah. I'm trying to be, I'm trying to refer to some things that they recognize, but I don't want to just say, uh, geez, you got a dog in suds. I thought those went out of business totally 40 years ago. Okay. Uh, I actually want to tell a real joke. And one of my favorites was, it's actually in Wisconsin, which doesn't happen a lot, uh, was there's a town called Prairie du Sac west of Madison. Mm-hmm. And uh, apparently a church had gone out of business, and somebody bought the land under the church, but they wanted to relocate the church. Somebody bought the church building. So they moved the church temporarily uh, to the parking lot of the Ace Hardware. And... Everybody in that room has driven past that church like 40, 50 times. And I just, I was like, Jesus Christ, is, man, I tell you, on good times you should advertise, and bad times you must, and you got to diversify. I didn't know they were selling churches at the Ace Hardware. <laughs> <laughs> and people come up afterwards like, I've driven past that thing a thousand times in the last never six never months. Never thought that, oh, that's, I can't believe you came up with that. Yeah. And in and a, and, and a, and a previous more arrogant uh me version of me would say, yeah, that's my job is to come up with the things you possibly could not think of yourself. And, and I don't say that anymore. I go, Oh, well, you know, it just came to me. Uh, but that's my job in those first 10 minutes is to make friends and be relatable. Right. Then I've got, uh, that next 35 to 40 minutes where I have pre-scripted 16 jokes and I stole that from Mike Holmgren who used to pre-script 16 plays and he said if the if the game was going well we would know the direction it was going in four plays if the game was really not going the way we thought it was going to go we might use all 16 before we kind of figured out and if we got to 16 we knew we were going to lose the game Mm -hmm. that's an amazing thing I can't afford to lose a comedy show. i got to figure out something. But I use those first 16 jokes to figure out where the audience is. Mm-hmm. I'm doing 35 to 40 minutes of my material, sure. of pre-written, practiced, perfected jokes, but I've got about two hours. And in my okay. vision, the way I see a show, it's a cloud. And I'd say I invented the cloud long before Microsoft and Apple came up with the cloud. I then pull jokes out of that cloud based on where stuff has gone in those first four as many as 16 jokes and then I figure out where this audience is going what do they want to hear what are they reacting to because I got a lot of stuff to work from Sure, and that's where so a very popular guy who I feel got more popular because of podcasting was Tom Segura another guy that I just I,
0: I I've seen. I make it
2: 10 minutes and I'm just like, I haven't laughed once. And not Mm. just me. I sit there with my wife. I sit there with friends. And I look at you guys haven't laughed yet. And you're fans of his podcast. What's going on? So his attitude is I wrote my set. It's like a movie, Uh I'm there to perform my movie. Mm. Yep. You can't tell Spielberg while you're in the movie theater, hey, I don't like where that character's development is going. Change it. You can't do that. Mm -hmm. And his attitude is very purist. I'm not going to try to please the audience. I'm there to please myself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where comedy has gone wrong. And we're all the way back to that pursuit of fame now and celebrity more than we're in the pursuit of entertaining an audience and producing the best show you possibly can. Right. And to me, that's way more, uh, important. Uh, I can't think of the word sacrosanct. It, it's almost my religion that my job is to affect somebody that night. And, and, uh, I'll try to end on this last story. It's a town in Northern Illinois called, called Johnsburg, Illinois. Mm-hmm. And, um, Uh, this woman was a chef, so she opened a restaurant, which Mm -hmm. was really more of a bar because Mm -hmm. of the area that it's in. People just wanted it's horse country. People just wanted it to be a bar where they could come and kind of get hammered. It's a small town. Cops know everybody, Mm -hmm. you know, they'll they'll just as likely give you a ride home as they are to arrest you for DUI. So depending (laughs) on how you handle the traffic stop, they might just put you in the back of the car, take you home, hand you your keys and go come back tomorrow. It's that kind of a town. And, but she's an honest to God chef. Uh, cordon bleu trained chef wow. so here's this bar with <laughs> the most amazing steak sandwich you've ever had served in a plastic basket That is <laughs> it's just like wow what the hell is this doing here so she wanted to do a real to-do on the second show because the first show she was like i don't know if we're the right place for this so we kind of pushed to have this show there and she accepted and then I'm go I finish my time. I go to the back of the room and she comes out of the kitchen and just goes, we're doing this again. And I want to do it big. I want to do like a steak dinner in a show kind of a thing. And she's all excited now because she's just seen sure. what's happening. So second show is almost sold out at the end of the first show. They announce she comes up after I've said, thank you. Good night. And says, we're going to do this again. It's going to be the early part of June go up to Al at the bar and buy your tickets now. And they practically sell the thing out mm-hmm. just on the strength of the show. We come back seven months later to do the show. And there were two blondes at a table um, towards the back, right towards the kitchen door. And they immediately bought their table again. And this time, second show, there's a third woman with them. Everybody's eating on plates with fork and knife. She's got the red plastic basket with the checkerboard paper in it, and she's eating a burger. Everybody else is having tenderloin or salmon. Again, you can't not comment on that. you like... <laughs> Yeah, what's going on. on over there is that the kids table what are you yeah, all right he's right. not into steak is that too highbrow for you would a grilled cheese been better for you tonight <laughs> whatever you say and uh after the show shaking hands with everybody thanks for coming all that stuff meet us at the bar buy our bumper sticker all that usual stuff the two blondes have waited till the very end and they come up and they say um would you mind uh our friend that you kind of ripped on <laughs> early on, <laughs> she's in the She's in that they have a little like um like a small little conference room size banquet room. It's like just seats twelve people or whatever, right. and it's off to the side. She's in there. Would you mind going in there and talking to her? I'm like, oh, I'm not seeing anyone right now. I mean, this could work out nice.
1: Sure.
2: Her dad had passed away on Monday and this is a Saturday show, and they had buried her dad the day before. Hmm. And the two women hadn't they were, they were high school friends together. But for whatever reason, they're all in their early 30s. Uh, this woman basically quit her job to take care of her dad for the last 10 years and had isolated herself from everyone. Hmm. And these women just were like, they didn't even know her dad had died when they called her on Thursday and said, hey, there's this comedy show on Saturday. You want to come with us? Mm-hmm. And she's like, ah, I, don't, I don't think I need to. My dad's funeral is tomorrow. Your dad's funeral is tomorrow? Oh, my God. I'm so sorry. Buh. Buried her dad. Bring her to the show. I got my 16 jokes pre scripted. I get about five jokes in, and I have no idea why. But I've got for the clean comedy shows, I've got a seven minute chunk of material on my dad. I'm one of nine kids. You know, you've got that weird feeling of a baseball team, and I'm the right fielder. <laughs> Nobody knows I'm there. I'm just left out of everything. You know, uh, you never say, Hey, can we go to Dairy Queen? That instantly will get the Dairy Queen trip stopped. If it's not his idea, it's not happening, that kind of thing. <laughs> just very clean, very wholesome, very nice story about my dad and comedy related to that. And I never do that set unless I'm in a, like a, a benefit show, something that's a, like a, a, for a brief period of time, I did a lot of like teacher in-service day comedy shows kind of things. Sure. weird. You, you know, you do one at one school and you get booked at 10 others. Yeah. So I had to have a good batch of clean material just for things like that. I have no idea why. After the fifth joke, I just went off into that material. And uh, so we're off in this conference room, and she goes, "Um, I have no idea why my friends um, called me out of the blue and invited me to this tonight. Um, But I left my job 10 years ago to take care of my dad. My dad died. We buried him yesterday. I was going to commit suicide this morning because I have nothing to live for. Wow. And you made me think about my dad in a different way and I want to thank you it's just what do you do with that how do you how do you decide to no longer do comedy when that experience somebody needed to come? and again I don't know why I did that chunk of material right hadn't done it in 300 shows what are the odds of that right so I like to offhandedly say it's just a job but it's not just a job there's yeah. more to it. There's more going on, which is why I feel like I have to take it so seriously and I have to bring whatever I have to every show. Uh no half shows, no half efforts. You gotta you gotta give everything you got every time you go up there because you just don't know mm-hmm. who needs to hear what you have to say tonight. Yeah. yeah. It's crazy. Right. Well, Brendan O'Day. Brendan O'Day, thanks for uh thanks
1: for being here. Thanks, thanks for, for having me. This is the fourth show in a row we're gonna say uh if you only can, if you only reach one person, if it's just one person you affect, we've had other shows. We had detox show. And yeah. yeah, we just had. Uh, last guy, um, last guy was talking about shingles, shingles, shingles vaccines. Yeah, we talked we, about we,
0: that. and The pain so he went a, through. So Same ugh, kind tough of tough stuff. Yeah. yeah.
1: So to our audience, I say, if you uh, haven't seen a comedy show in a while, and you need to pick me up, and you need to pick me up, go see one. We got the Laughing Tap. We got the Improv.
2: Uh, Those are the two that I know of around town. Go to milwaukee com. Matt Kemple outside of running the laughing tap competes with himself by setting up shows all around the area. Uh, You don't, if you don't like going downtown, there's a show somewhere near you. Just go to their website, check it out. You'll find something somewhere um, in uh, all varieties of venues, check out Sprecher brewing. They've started a comedy show series, uh, where I think they do 10 months out of the year, one show a month, uh, with some really good comics coming. Bobby Kelly's coming from New York, but even guys like Johnny Beener from Madison, originally from here or wherever, originally from Oregon or wherever he's Uh, from. Madison, Nebraska, Uh, Nebraska. Nebraska, That's that's right. And I just, and so there's some, there's some still some really good comics around the area. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, um, and just go out and, and see some comedy because you'd be amazed at how much it can actually affect your life. So. Right. Yeah. I
1: know we're way over time, I just want to find out, is there any way they can find you anywhere or in a website or
2: you're not not
1: really you're, promoting I, the comedy? You can, for your you can comedy just right find
2: now? me on Facebook at either Stand Up Guys, it's comedy or um, uh, it's, 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 it's at Bren Damaged. I'm a little Bren Damaged. <laughs> <laughs> nice. It's <laughs> B-R-E-N-D-A-M-A-G-E-D. Uh, and just, uh, you know, I don't do a lot of shows anymore. And certainly you really only play your hometown about once every two years. Comedy, it's got to be fresh. Uh, music, you get to play the same song over and over and over again. Comedy, we don't get to do that so much. Uh, we got to go see different people every show. So, Sure. Uh, so, um, but you don't have to come see me. Just go check out some comedy and uh, change your life.
1: All right, thanks again, Brendan. Thanks again, Brendan. Thanks, guys. Join us next time on the Bait and Switch Podcast when we talk with shingles survivor Alex Ng.
0: You've made it to the end of another Bait and Switch Podcast. Spread the word.